Anderson. Hits it in the air to right. Back at the wall, and the White Sox win it. Sox win. Welcome back. This is the Feeling Soxy podcast, the Clint Klaus Show, episode number 52, the Jose Contreras episode. Jose Contreras, 05 hero, the 2005 run, his 05 run to 06, one of the best pitching runs of all time that doesn't get talked about enough. And the White Sox are coming off, taking two out of three, from the Seattle Mariners. They did exactly that. I said, I didn't want them to happen. I didn't want them to get swept, but better yet, they took two out of three. They took two out of three from the Mariners as they beat Luis Castillo, or they actually didn't beat Luis Castillo, but they touched him up for six runs today. Logan Gilbert, obviously yesterday had quite a outstanding performance. He shut us out, but we have to start with Monday with Lance Lynn and I, I've been saying it before how Lance Lynn has been very good as of late. It looks like that he's starting to ramp it up, and he looks a lot comfortable with uh, starting. Usually around this time is usually when starting pitchers are 27, 28, 30-ish starts into the season. Lance Lynn's only about 12, 13, and this is, he, had, he didn't have a spring trade. He got hurt in that, so... Lance Lynn is really starting to ramp it up really good. And I mean, this pitching staff definitely needs it with the down the stretch run because they definitely need what Lance Lynn is going to be providing for them. I mean, that first game against the Mariners, I mean, granted, the Mariners were jet lagged. They had to play. They had a long flight. They had a four hour rain delay on Sunday against the Guardians. I mean, they basically played out. They basically played out the Guardians and basically said, we're going to play this game because we're not coming back here to play your sorry ass team. And Lance Lynn dominated and snapped a seven game winning streak, 11 strikeouts, 11 strikeouts and retired the final 17 batters. Lance Lynn was just, that was his best start of the entire season. I feel like I've been saying that a lot in the last couple of Lance Lynn starts that, you know, Lance Lynn looks good here. Lance Lynn looks good. Hey, he's keeping it going. And he didn't allow a base runner after Abraham Toro's bloop single in the second inning, which scored the Mariners' first run. But the White Sox persevered. They hit two home runs in this game. Two home runs. Two home runs. They had a solo shot by A.J. Pollock and then a two-run homer by an accidental White Sox, Elvis Andrews. I mean, you can't say enough what about what Elvis Andrews has meant to this team with Tim Anderson's absence. I mean, he has just been phenomenal playing at shortstop, playing or even at the plate. He is a leader on the infield, which is, you know, he's really picking up the role of which Tim Anderson left behind when he was injured. Who knows when Tim Anderson was going to be back. And even Elvis Andrews has been playing. Um, you can maybe say that he's been playing a little bit better shortstop than Tim Anderson. I mean, I don't, I love Tim Anderson, but we can't just, the White Sox can't just sit here. And also us as fans, we can't just sit here and look at Elvis Andrews play the game of shortstop these past uh, couple of weeks that he has been up with the White Sox since he since he got released with the, from the Oakland A's and signed here with the, as a free agent. I mean, we can't just look the other way and just say that Elvis Andrews is not a better shortstop than Tim Anderson. I mean, it's pretty, 
it's pretty cut and dry that Elvis Andres is a little bit of a better defensive shortstop than Tim Anderson, and it's almost not even close. I mean, you look at some of these plays that Elvis Andres makes, it seems like there are times where I see Elvis Andres make a play, like, wow, that looks really good. And I ask myself, does Tim Anderson make that play? And I have to, like, think about it for a second. Like, it's not, it's never a sure thing with Tim Anderson making a routine play at shortstop. Sometimes he makes those routine plays look very, very bad. But nevertheless, they held on to win the game 3-2. It got really prickly in the ninth inning of game one, but Liam Hendricks was able to slam the door. And they were lucky that the Mariners' third base coach did not send the did not send Haggerty at third base because if they would have sent him, then he probably scores because the throw was nowhere near close to the plate. I mean, it was on the right side of first base, so if he really wanted to, he could have just ran home. He probably could have walked home if he really wanted to. Like, it was... It was that wide open for him. Like, it was there for the taking. Like, this game was was phenomenal. I mean, I mean, when you think about well, how good Lance Lynn was, they hit two home runs. And I think they've hit more home runs in the span of the last five games. I think this was the lead-up to that game. They hit seven home runs in the last five games, and that was dating back to Monday's game. Obviously, that number has changed now because we have had a, another home run being added into that mix with the game that happened today. But that first game, a 3-2 win, it was a good way to start off the West Coast trip. I mean, you're playing a red-hot Seattle Mariners team, a team that's winning seven in a row, a team that just swept the Cleveland Guardians and really did the White Sox a ton of favors by sweeping the Cleveland Guardians, getting gaining some ground in the American League Central as we were beating up the punk-ass Minnesota Twins, who were currently getting their asses kicked by the New York Yankees at the taping of this broadcast. So we could be ahead of the Minnesota twins by the end of the night, or even by the time this podcast gets released more details still to come as now we move on to game two game two was really a stinker in this one. I mean, what can you really say? I mean, Johnny Cueto again, I mean, he had another phenomenal performance in which he only gave up one run. And even the one run that he gave up was really kind of like, one of those balls that Yoan Mankata should have caught in his first game back playing at third base. It was a ball that Mankata, I think, was a little bit lazy to the ball, too. And if he would have at least made some effort to try and catch the ball, then I don't think that run scores. I mean, you end up probably still losing the game two to nothing because your offense was literally doing nothing. I believe they were one for I think they were like oh for eight with runners in scoring with um, runners on base. I don't know the exact number, but I mean, Johnny Cueto, as I mentioned earlier, I kind of skipped over, allowed one run, five hits, and three walks in six-plus innings. Jimmy Lambert came in in the seventh inning and really held it down. And then Ronaldo Lopez gave up a two-run homer to Cal Raleigh in the ninth inning. Look, um, these late West Coast games, if during the week and I have to get up for work, then chances are I'm probably not going to be watching a whole lot of it. I watched up until the sixth inning when it was one to nothing. It was still one to nothing. I mean, Logan Gilbert, what can you really say about what Logan Gilbert did to the White Sox? I mean, I feel like he is somebody that the White Sox have had problems with in the past ever since he made his debut just not too long ago. I mean, nine strikeouts, I'm pretty, that ties a high with strikeouts for the season, or excuse me, it ties a career high for Logan Gilbert. You never want to tie Christ's career high in strikeouts. And I mean, not, not quite an ideal game. The White Sox wasted opportunities and 
know, the Mariners got a run of some bougie little thing, but you end up losing that game three to nothing. And I mean, <laughs> like this team just got right back to 500. Like anytime you think, Hey, maybe they could win this game, which I thought this is, I mean, we all, I talked about it before that this was going to be a very tough series for the white Sox. Like you talk about facing two of their best pitchers in Logan Gilbert and Luis Castillo. Well, we faced the first one and got shut out by him and had nine strikeouts. So how would we fare against Luis Castillo in the in the rubber matchup of the White Sox and Seattle Mariners, which took place earlier today? And we're going to be talking a whole lot about this game because really there's not a whole lot to talk about in terms of that second game against the Mariners. I mean, the offense was just non-existent. Yoan Mankata had two hits. The White Sox struck out 14 times as a unit. I mean, not really good. Not really good. So... You, you wanted to, so you're not really, not really going off to the best of starts, but the good thing with baseball is sometimes you turn the page and it's a brand new day. Sometimes it seems like with the White Sox, some of these days are the same where you have these bad fundamental errors or the offense doesn't show up and they get shot. Out. They've only been shut out four times this year. I thought they've been shut out more times this year, but they've only been shut out four times this year, which is still a pretty decent amount for a, a team that at times just seems like they have a almost non-existent offense. And now we are going to get into the rubber matchup of today's game. So we're going up against Luis Castillo. I'll be honest. Luis Castillo, his first seven guys were strikeouts. He struck out the first seven guys. It really had this feel like he was going to no hit him. Like first seven guys just look completely lost. They're all striking out to Luis Castillo. I think it was just because of an unfamiliarity of just not being able to see Luis Castillo. They haven't seen a whole lot of him with him playing in the national league with the Cincinnati reds. Cause I don't think any time the white Sox played the reds in the last couple of years that Castillo was on the mound for those games. I'm not really sure I'd have to go back and look, but you know, it was not, it was not looking good. It looked early. Like it was going to be a series loss. You know, Luis Castillo, I guess, I guess he tied an American league record by striking out the first seven guys, but then his big mistake was the fourth inning. And this was when the floodgates opened. Right before Aloy Jimenez hit a monster two-run homer, Jose Abreu hustled his butt down the line to beat out a would-be double play to keep that inning alive. I think that's probably as big of a play in this game as any because if he if that ends up getting called back and Jose Abreu gets called out, then there's a very good chance that the that Aloy Jimenez doesn't come up and hits a two-run homer. And so you cut the lead in half. It's four to two. I mean, Michael Kopech returned from injury and you know, he, they were, only, they weren't going to pitch him too much. He only pitched three and two thirds. He gave up the four runs, including a two run homer to Eugene, Eugenio Suarez. I don't know if I said his name correctly, but, and then Luis Castillo stayed in the game. And then in the sixth inning, this was really when the white Sox got to him. It started with a fielding error by, Eugenio Suarez, who we just mentioned, who had a two-run homer. Well, he made up for hitting that two-run homer by causing an error. And then it led to four runs being scored, including a Gavin Sheets RBI and a Andrew Vaughn or Gavin Sheets sacrifice fly and an Andrew Vaughn RBI double. They got four runs out of it and Chase Castillo for six runs. I mean, impressive. I don't even think Luis Castillo gave up more, has hadn't given up more than six runs in his last three starts combined. Like as we take a look, his last three, his, dating back his last five starts, 
He gave up one run, four runs, two runs, no runs, including no runs. So his last two, so he gave up a combined seven runs in his last five starts combined. The White Sox tagged him for six. They chased him out of the game. It didn't really take long because Joe Kelly and and Aaron Bummer, who I mean, I, Aaron Bummer's back in the fold. His first batter, he just gives up a game tying home run. Oh my god! It just, I was like, you got to be kidding me! Like. We cannot lose this game again. We cannot lose this game. This is a must-win game for us. And the White Sox certainly played like it was a must-win game because right after that, Eloy gets a hit. He had a very nice day, three for four. You know, my guy Eloy is just doing Eloy Jimenez things. Ho-hum, no big deal. Ho-hum, no big deal. Him just doing those sort of things. And then Miguel Cairo made a very interesting decision. He decided to go with Leary Garcia, who stole second base, Ends up going to third on a bad throw by Cal Rowley. And then on a blooper little infield hit because the shortstop J.P. Crawford was waiting for the ball to come to him. By the time he got it, Garcia already scored. They were able to get two more runs in the ninth inning after. I, I don't know what happened to the Seattle pitcher, Chris Chris Felix. He he just absolutely airmailed the throw. Like, it looked like he was trying to throw a ball into the stands. Like, Ty France, the first baseman for the Mariners, didn't even bother trying to he didn't even try bother trying to go up and trying to get it. He just basically just kind of tapped out on it and just said, this ain't happening today. And then you had the the 961 Liam Hendricks went and shut it down. One more thing before we got to Hendricks. They pinched Vince Velasquez in the eighth inning, and I was just beside myself. I was like, what in the hell is Vince Velasquez doing pitching in a relief situation in a one-run game against a playoff team like the Seattle Mariners? Well, it turns out that's why I'm just an idiot fan who does a podcast and just complains about him because he came in, pitched the eighth, got a nice one, two, three inning. Elvis Andrews had another fantastic play at shortstop. And Liam Hendricks struck out the side, 31st save. And it's only the fourth time in the past 15 games the Mariners have lost. I mean, my biggest takeaway from this, from this series in general, as we get to the final wrap-up of the series, is that they won. They ended up winning the season series against the Mariners, four to two. That's a really good Mariners team that they that they won the season series against. That's a really good Mariners team that they played. I mean, you you think about the pitchers that they took out in this game. I mean, the first game, Marco Gonzalez, a pretty respectable left-hander, but the White Sox have been better against left-handers of late. I think I was more impressed with their performance against Luis Castillo today because. You watch that game and you watch how the first couple of innings played out. Luis Castillo looked like he was getting ready to throw a no-hitter. I even said to my dad that it looks like Luis Castillo is probably going to throw a no-hitter because he struck out the first seven guys tying an American League record, which I didn't know that that was, a, that was tying an American League record. But that just goes to show you how uh, in baseball every day you watch history. And then that same guy ended up getting, giving up six runs. I was very impressed with their resolve. They could have easily sat up and folded there was a four they they were losing four nothing it seemed like they were getting ready to lose another series that it was like well here we go it's another podcast where the white Sox are just playing with everybody's emotions and it was going to be it was going to be one of the cruelest things that i have ever encountered in terms of a white Sox season but they were able to persevere i was very impressed alloy went deep three for four Great at-bats by him. Great at-bats by Jose Abreu. And honestly, great at-bats just rebounding um, from the start of the game where it really looked like at, for a moment that it was just going to be a Luis Castillo shutout because it didn't seem like he was going to need a whole lot of runs. Well, 
he certainly gave up the, the amount of runs that the Mariners gave him. So I think I was most impressed with the White Sox in this series. And, you know, you want to just keep the good momentum going. I mean, in the past week, I mean, think about it. They, they took two or three from the Twins, took two out of three from the Royals, and have taken two out of three from the Seattle Mariners. I mean, three straight series wins. Let's just keep the good momentum going. Just try and keep winning series. I mean, you have a four-game set with the Oakland A's. Obviously, Oakland has just been a complete house of horrors for our Chicago White Sox over the past couple of years. And just like the games that they play where it's just like these weird games in which games just end in these really weird ways where it's like a bad fielding error, even though that's even though the season has probably been an equivalent of a White Sox Oakland A's series. I mean, the A's are in a situation where they're obviously not. They know they're not going to be playing in the playoffs. But these bad teams are probably, in my opinion, the most dangerous during these playoff races because they have nothing to lose. They are going to be playing loose, and they're not going to be playing so tight, and they're going to be playing free. And that's usually when you get these situations where you'll have a last-place team sweeping a, a first-place team in the middle of September because all of the pressure is on that team. So that's something to kind of think about heading into the series against the Oakland A's because the A's are a bad team, but you certainly should not overlook them. I mean, they were giving the Atlanta Braves fits. I mean, the Braves have been one of the hotter teams in baseball the last couple of months, last couple of weeks. Let's not forget the first series where they played the White Sox, how much fits that they were giving them. I, th I think they beat their brains in one of those games, but I mean, you just can't, you can't lose to the Oakland A's. Again, you don't have to take three out of four or you have to take three out of four. What I'm saying is you don't have to get the four-game sweep. I don't think they're going to get the four-game sweep, but they have to at least not – don't lose the momentum that you just gained from this great series that you had against the Seattle Mariners. I mean, you took two out of three from a good Mariners team. Like, you you shouldn't take away from that. I mean, second straight series – where you played a, I guess, a playoff team. I don't really consider the Twins one, but the Mariners certainly going to be there in the playoffs. I mean, that was a good test for our Chicago White Sox, especially taking out Castillo. Your next series, obviously, the Oakland A's. Dylan Cease is going tomorrow night, so obviously that's going to be must-watch television. We're going to see if he can finally get a no-hitter, which I think I think it will happen by the time season's, season's end. I mean, maybe it's a, it's a, bold, it's a bold thing. I also think he'll win the Cy Young. Maybe that's just my bias, but yeah, actually, that is my bias. So we have Cease going up against J.P. Myers. That's going to be a really good pitching matchup. Lucas Giolito, who we hope, who is better on the road, so we hope he continues to bring that good road juju going. And then you have Lance Lynn, who has been very good against Adrian Martinez. And then in the finale, you have Johnny Cueto, who obviously we mentioned Johnny Cueto has been one of the saviors of the season against... Cole Irving of the Oakland A's, who is 7-11 with a 3.78 ERA. So on paper, everybody's going to look at the record of the Oakland A's and say, oh, this is going to be an easy series. I don't think this is an easy series. This is one that the White Sox should not overlook the Oakland A's, not one bit. And that's what I will close the White Sox on. And we are going to transition into the gridiron. So obviously I wanted to have uh, two two guests on, but due to scheduling conflicts with my schedule and theirs, I will have them on. I will have Jared back on on Sunday. We're going to recap the Notre Dame and the Chicago bears first game of the season. So 
everybody get, should get excited for that. We are in football season. Um, we'll start with the Bears. So the Bears are going up against the San Francisco 49ers. The first game of the Matt Eberflus era. Obviously, it's going to be the first game of which these games actually count. Preseason, obviously, I mentioned before, Justin Fields looked as good as he's ever looked in a Chicago Bears uniform. You really look to see if he will keep that good momentum going against the 49ers, a very good 49ers defensive line, which, uh, which to be honest, it kind of scares me what this Bears offensive line is going to be throwing out there. I mean, we don't really know quite exactly what the offensive line is going to look like, especially when you have Eric Armstead and Nick Bosa on the other side. And Fred Warner, I mean, the 49ers have a really good defense. Like, we've seen how they performed against the Bears the last couple of years where they've put the Bears in the blender. I think the biggest question, obviously, goes with the offensive line. Is Braxton Jones a solution at, right, at left tackle? We're going to find out. I mean, how good is Tevin Jenkins at right guard? Obviously, he's good enough to be the starting, to be the starting right guard. You know, Lucas Patrick is scheduled to make his return with the Chicago Bears make his Bears debut with the team. There's a lot of good things to like about the Bears. Obviously, some people have not really the highest of expectations. I certainly don't. I think this is a team that will probably win four to six games and could surprise people at maybe win seven. Look, I think the Bears are definitely going to be a little bit more competitive. I think the new regime of Matt Eberflus and the culture that they bring in, they're going to be competitive just because I feel like that's how defense I feel like defensive minded coaches I guess I should say that they're more in tune with keeping more competitive teams. I feel like the teams that have defensive minded coaches are a lot, are a lot more competitive. I mean, when you look at what Ryan Poles has done with this roster, I mean, the roster has completely turned over with this new regime. So it's going to be very interesting to see how the Chicago bears team looks like, you know, I know there was a lot of criticism about Justin Fields, lack of weapons, I mean, that still is probably going to be a talking point as we go throughout the season. But if Justin Fields is as good as a quarterback as a lot of Bears fans hope that he is, then he will make Equinonymous St. Brown a better wide receiver. He will make Darnell Mooney take that next step where he, where now Darnell Mooney is in the conversation with being a top-tier wide receiver. You know, there's a lot of interesting things to look for this year. Obviously, Justin Fields' development is... A very important thing, but you also want to look for other pieces. Who else is going to be other piece on the next winning Bears team? Obviously, Jaquan Brisker and Kyler Gordon on the defensive side are going to have eyes on them. Obviously, Roquan Smith's heading into a contract year. What's his situation going to be like? Obviously, what's what's his role going to look? How does he going to look in Matt Eberflus's defense? And does it really matter that he hasn't played in the preseason? I mean, we're going to find out if he really needed those preseason reps to kind of accommodate himself into a new system at Matt Eberflus's offense. So, I mean, that's something that obviously time will tell what is going to be, but it's going to be a very exciting game. The bears are seven point underdogs. I think they can keep it within that number just because of the great unknown of what Trey Lance is going to look like with the 49ers. Cause he didn't play a whole lot last year. Obviously he sat behind Jimmy Garoppolo. He hasn't played in two years. He was an FCS quarterback at North Dakota state and sat out the 2020 season with the FCS because they were playing in the spring. He wanted to come to get ready for the NFL. So you're talking about two whole years of which Trey Lance hasn't really played real competitive football. But obviously the other the other side of that aspect is Kyle Shanahan. I mean, Kyle Shanahan is as good of an offensive-minded coach as anybody. Like, 
how is he is he going to be able to turn Trey Lance into you know a Matt Ryan MVP season? I mean, who knows? I mean, Trey Lance. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Trey Lance comes out there and just looks like Patrick Mahomes. They've just been hiding this the entire time. Like, oh yeah, Trey Lance is actually good. Like, oh like oh that's a good development. Obviously, I hope that's not the case. I hope Trey Lance stinks. I hope that we don't injure him because I think we would lose the game if Jimmy Garoppolo was starting. But I think the Bears can keep it within the number, maybe. But only time will tell. I mean, it's going to be an interesting first game. I mean, a very exciting game. I'm very excited to see how this Bears team looks. We're looking for pillars this year with the Chicago Bears. Obviously, Justin Fields is a potential pillar. Who's a pillar on the offensive line? We're going to be looking out for that throughout the entire Chicago Bears season. And we're going to touch a little bit on Notre Dame. We're going to give you a little bit of a preview of their game against Marshall as they will be taking on the Marshall Thundering Herd. It'll be the first time that a Sunbelt team will be traveling to South Bend, Indiana and taking on the Fighting Irish. So obviously for Notre Dame, you want to at least look better than what you looked like against Ohio State. I mean, you want to see some better offensive consistency. I think there are a lot of questions. You know, obviously I mentioned them when when Jared was on the show. I mean, the lack of experienced offensive playmakers, I think, is something that is going to hurt Notre Dame this year. It, it obviously hurt them in that first game against Ohio State because they were the most conservative team in the entire nation just running the ball, running the ball for one yard, and then running the ball for one yard, and then Tyler, Tyler Buckner is going back, and he's scrambling back, and, oh, now he's getting sacked. Like, I want to see some offensive improvement. Like, we need to see some offensive improvement from this Notre Dame team if we are going to rebuy, rebuy in. Because right now, I mean, they have a top 15 defense that is going to keep them in a lot of games, as we saw on Saturday. It's really a matter of whether, you know, you really need some some of these inexperienced guys who haven't been playing. I mean, it's time to start seeing some of those Brian Kelly recruiting classes kind of start uh, blossoming a bit. I mean, Tyler Buckner was a former uh, number one quarterback in the nation. I mean, he'll still, I think he'll be all right as the season goes on. He'll get more reps because the be- the more reps you get, the better that you are going to be. And I think just Notre Dame needs more, a little bit more experienced offensive playmakers. And, you know, that's what I'm going to be looking for in this game against Marshall. Who's going to step up as that number one wide receiver? Is it going to be Jaden Thomas? Is it going to be Brandon Lindsley? Is it going to be Lorenzo Styles, who had the only long who had the longest pass on Saturday against the Buckeyes. I think there's more questions to be asked about whether Notre Dame has a good enough offense to be a 10 win team. I think, I think the concerns are legitimate now, granted, I mean, it's one week in the season and they didn't, and there's no preseason in college football. So really that first game is really kind of just a feeling out period where you're just kind of sort of feeling it out and just seeing what this team can give you. There are 20 point favorite, as Marshall comes into Notre Dame Stadium, the first Notre Dame home game of the season. It's going to be very interesting to see. I would expect Notre Dame to win this game by three touchdowns, but hopefully, but with the way that their offense performed against Ohio State, obviously Ohio State's different from Marshall, so I expect a lot more of offensive improvements from Notre Dame as they go forward in their battle against the Marshall Thundering Herd. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the Feeling Soxie podcast, a little bit of a shorter episode. But Sunday's episode, we are going to have Jared back on. He's going to recap the he's going to recap the Notre Dame game with us. He's going to recap the Bears game with us. We're going to be fresh off the papers of a football Sunday. And of course, we can't forget that we're going to be talking about 
our Chicago White Sox after their four-game series with the Oakland A's. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully it is a successful four-game series just like the last one against the Seattle Mariners. A little bit of a quick episode, but, you know, I just wanted to get an episode out there for the three people who are listening, three or four people that are probably listening. But thank you for listening to the podcast, and this is the Feeling Soxy Clint Klaus Show.